Hello, welcome to How to Write a Novel. So I'm back on the mountain ridge. I should look up the name of this mountain. I'm not sure what it's called, but if you're in Fukuoka, Japan, it's like a mountain panorama. Pretty much everywhere you look, there's a mountain around here. It's fucking cool. If you hear some water sloshing, it's because uh, the first time I came up here, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into, and I had no liquid at all. And when I got to the other end and found a drink machine, I just like bought three drinks right away. It was awesome. Last time I bought a bottle of water, it was not enough. So this time I bought the two liter bottle of water. I'm all set. It is weird too, like, uh, I mean, I think there's no question being in nature is good for you. You know, there's nobody that'll say like, oh no, that's gonna make your life worse to go on a nature hike. I mean, barring cataclysmic accidents like 127 hours or whatever. Is it 127 or 128 hours? <laughs> whatever, who cares? But it's still a little bit of effort, you know, just to get up and to get my ass moving. And I know that when I'm like in the more city part and there's cars making noise and people around, I know I'm not that happy. But there's still that part of me that's like, yeah, but it's such a lot of work to go to the fucking the woods. But now that I'm here, I'm like, yeah, this is way better. But I guess, I mean, it's like I was talking about last episode. It's like there's all the, uh, the ding, 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 the fucking, <laughs> you know, life is like Vegas, you know? Even just normal life is just like, it's like you're in a, a casino or something. It's just excitement and fucking, you know, people around and stuff happening and noise and bustlingness. But it ultimately, I think, just kind of grinds you down and is sort of miserable. Whereas being in nature, shit, I thought I was at the top of the ridge before I started recording, but I'm not. So I gotta go up a very steep part right here. It's weird because nature on the surface is just not exciting like that. It's like boring, <laughs> which is so sick that we think of mother nature that way. Being in the woods is boring. Because it's not directly stimulating. But I think like it helps for me to, to concentrate on the lower end. Of like... It takes a little time to settle into these nature walks and then to start to find them fun. But the other way to think about it is like, what's the worst time I ever had walking through the woods? You know, and it's like, fine, I'm always fine. Like, things that work me up and things that agitate me. When I'm down in the city, those things just fucking compile and compound and tumble together and turn into a big snowball, a big avalanche. Where out here, it's like there's just nothing for them to grab onto. It's like all my weird little frustrations and neuroses and problems with life, there's just nothing for them to grip onto. They just kind of flow out and they just evaporate. They just disappear. So it's like, going out into the woods on the surface seems boring. On the surface it doesn't have all the pizzazz of the fucking smartphone, internet, super duper adventure life of the city. But the baseline is way better, way more stable. I mean again, it's not like I'm not saying anything people don't know. Everybody knows it feels better to be in nature. Everybody knows this is what we're built for but it's still tough to do. I mean, even having this mountain right here, 
I still take a day off in between because it's just uh, it's like you know it's a lot of climbing it's hard on the legs hard on the knees it's good for me to take a day off in between to recuperate but yeah like I was saying even beyond that it's like I still kind of got to push everything takes effort I guess even to go to the uh, beautiful fucking rejuvenating wonders of nature is still not a given. It's still not the easy choice. You still gotta make yourself do it. It still takes determination. It's like, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna go do that. And then once I get here, it's awesome. Oh, fuck me. And yeah, that's just how like spoiled and fucking out of whack we've gotten is like that I was thinking like how I've got to kind of convince myself even to come here because that initial push seems like well I could do that or I could go the other way and just go to a convenience store and eat a bunch of junk food and sit around and do nothing I don't know do whatever I do with my stupid life but this is kind of the best like as far as nature hikes go I'm just thinking of stuff that was directly accessible to me in other places. Toronto ain't got shit. Toronto fucking sucks. Vancouver is awesome in general, but as far as like hiking up a mountain, there's like the grouse grind, but it is just like directly up the whole way. It's really tough. It's basically just like walking upstairs for 90 minutes. It's really hard. Montreal has Mount Royal, which is cool, but it's not very isolated. It's a pretty good little mountain. It's a, not a bad little hike, but there are just people all around. It doesn't really feel like nature that much. And then even if you find places to hike through the woods, I mean, that's obviously great, but this is nice because it is a hike up. Like it really feels like exercise. It really gets you fucking, get your heart going, gets you sweating, gets your demons expelled, but it's not straight up like fucking Vancouver. This one is a really nice, gradual ascent and awesome nature and very few people and occasional breaks in the trees with these amazing views this is kind of the best Fukuoka Japan man I know I'm near uh, I guess I don't know the name of the mountain but I know I'm near an observation deck I haven't found that yet I guess I just keep walking past it I can't read the signs so you know can hear a little siren from down in civilization. So yeah, this place though, it's pretty great. It's uh, easy to get to, it's close, as evidenced by those sirens. But yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, I wouldn't recommend, don't come to Fukuoka, Japan, because I recommended it. But if you happen to be here, find this mountain near where the observation deck is and it uh, fucking rules. All right, so what I wanted to do, I want to do a little series of episodes about songs. Because one of the things I've been doing with this podcast is just playing a song at the end. Ostensibly as like a, a spark, like maybe it'll make you think of something for a story, maybe it'll give you a feeling. But realistically, it's just because I like music. I just like to play songs, fucking play some songs that I like. I've got on, uh, on my website on keithcourage.com. I got this podcast called uh, I Have a Ham Radio that I did for years. It was just me rambling and playing music. But after my website crashed, the webpage for that's gone. I never bothered to 
reinstate it so now it's just a whack of mp3s in a folder <laughs> just sitting there with no dates and no track lists and no nothing so if you're real fucking bored there's always that but uh but I guess realistically, like, I don't have that many ideas for music. It doesn't hit all that often. But it's really cool when it does. And it's just, yeah, cool to think about scenes from my stories. Scenes from my little stories. <laughs> think of them as, like, scenes in a movie or whatever. And it's neat to anchor things to a song sometimes. Because then every time I play the song, I can, like, think about that scenario and think about that scene. And add to it a little bit and make it a little more granular. And the first one I'm going to start off with, I mean, I did this once before. Last summer I did an episode like this. But for this run of episodes, I'm going to start with the opening chapter of this novel. The titular novel of how to write a novel, this novel I'm working on, which is called Explode, and is about an alien refugee on a space station. I was listening to uh, Bjork. The first three Bjork albums are really good. Bjork, I guess, is technically how you pronounce it, but I'm North American, so I'm going to call her Bjork. Yeah, the first three Bjork albums are really, really good, and then after that, it's... Uh, you know, it's a little tougher. She keeps getting, you know, she's, uh, she's, she's an artiste, you know, she got a little bored of, uh, doing pop songs, I guess. So those albums aren't bad, but they don't stick with me as much. So the third album, Homogenic, has some super awesome shit. And the very first song is called Hunter. And I love thinking of, like, the opening of this story set to this song and like if there was ever a movie made of this novel that I got to direct somehow <laughs> Netflix hit me up and was like here's some money I think I'd do it like that uh, that remake of the Jungle Book that, that they made whoa where the whole thing was just on little sound stages with like green screens but you wouldn't know it looks awesome they did such a good job like I watched that whole movie and just didn't really think about it but I just presumed my dumb self that I'm like, I guess they just filmed a bunch of little kids in the woods. But of course they didn't, not in the modern age. It's all just little sound stages. And it looked so good. That's how I presume this story would be as well. Because the whole thing just takes place in this one space station. But yeah, it would necessitate CG, obviously. In some ways it would be a pretty inexpensive movie but there would be a definite CG budget because uh, the whole thing would be CG the whole time. I kind of think of, if you've ever seen the wrestler Shayna Baszler, she used to do MMA, and now she wrestles for NXT, and she's awesome. And just her demeanor and the way she moves and the way she walks around is how I think about this character. Because I guess what I'm going to do is I'll tell you the... Uh, I'll set the scene, and then I'll walk you through the beats of uh, this part of the story, then I'll play the song and explain them again. But I can't just play the song and explain at the same time because uh, it's just hard to keep up with the timing of the song, you know? When I'm just talking off the top of my head like this. So I'll lay it all out and then I'll apply it to the song. So the basics of this story is 
our main character is this big rhino who was kind of inspired by Star Control 2, the old video game. A fair amount of this story is kind of... Star Control 2 was a big influence on me. But specifically, visually, I think more of uh, Neff, the last boss in the old Sega game Altered Beast, where he's just this big rhino guy with this kind of gold-plated armor. And I don't really describe in the novel what this particular rhino creature is wearing, what kind of clothes she has. I kind of like to, to err on the side of not describing that much, because I kind of think most people don't need that. Like when I say that, you know, this character is a rhino person, a walking, talking Star Trek rhino person, like something pops into your mind, right? Like you don't need me to get too granular about it. It's going to be a large person, a big muscular person with gray skin, maybe a horn, maybe not. Again, I don't get into it. It's not important, really. Maybe some like leather armor, maybe not. Maybe, I mean, just presumably some kind of coverings, but that's like one of those things that if it ever was a movie, like I feel like I would leave that up to the experts. You know, I'd let some costume designer decide what they think would be cool. As far as a novel goes, like, I actually find this could just be me. I could be way off on this. But I find that excessive description doesn't draw me in. It actually kind of boots me out. Because if it contradicts the little image that I've concocted in my head, that just, uh, it just annoys me, you know? And I feel like it's almost like just one of those rules people follow because they think they're supposed to, you know? It's like, like uh, I was saying, I was listening to a different writing podcasts, and, you know, people would say stuff like, you know, I don't like describing. A lot of times I leave that and I fill it in later. But my question would be, well, then why are you doing it? Just don't. Follow your instinct. Be the kind of writer that you are. Follow what you like. Like, I've never been a fan of... Uh, especially excessive description, but like I said, kind of description at all. You mostly don't need it. Even like describing a character, like even if we're just talking humans in a domestic drama, you don't need to say so-and-so is pretty. It'll be obvious if so-and-so is pretty by the way that everyone else reacts to them. You don't need to say what color somebody's eyes are. You don't even need to say what color their hair is. Like, I just, I just don't like that stuff. I don't think it's important. Because to me, I don't know, I just conjure up based on someone's personality and the way they behave and the way other people behave toward them. I conjure something up. And the description can only get in the way. And like I said, I might be way off with that. Maybe people really don't like that. But that's how I feel, so that's how my writing's gonna be. And yeah, description, it's just like I remember that Stephen King book on writing. I just distinctly remember, because even when I read that as a teenager, I already had these notions that I'm not a huge fan of flowery description. He gives an example of what he called a minimal description, like a not-too-much description. And it was half a page to just describe some room. You know, and I'm not saying it has no value. 
Uh, the leather chairs creaking and the smell of something or other. But less is more as far as I'm concerned. It always really cracked me up, the dude, uh, Kyle Bossman. He uh, does that YouTube show Box Peak that I mentioned back in the day on this podcast. That was his go-to of why he doesn't like reading fiction. Is those descriptions. He's like, as soon as I hear someone describe the leaves crunching under somebody's boots, I'm out. I don't need that. <laughs> and it really cracked me up because like when he initially said like, I don't like reading, I don't like novels, I kind of balk. I'm like, what? But then as soon as he said that, I'm like, no, okay, yeah, I'm on your side again. I agree. Fuck that shit. Everyone's been doing that shit for 200 goddamn years. We don't need it anymore. If you don't like it and you don't want it, don't do it. Don't do some shit just because you think you're supposed to or just because you feel like that's just one of these things. I don't like it, but you're supposed to. Fuck that! So even in the case of uh, this weird sci-fi story, I'm keeping it minimal, man. And then if it ever gets switched to a visual medium, that's somebody else's job. I'll consult, but that's not what's important. And I do think there's so much benefit to... You know, if I say rhino girl on a space station manned by squid people, like there's a lot you're going to fill in by yourself that I might just get in the way of, you know? Your visual idea of just even that scant phrase that I just said is probably a lot different than what's in my mind. Because what's in my mind is like a combination of the first town from Fantasy Star 1 <laughs> and a little bit of flashback. Like just old video games are my reference point always for all things. But it's not important. Whatever's in your mind is more useful, is better. So anyway, that's a side rant about describing things. Don't worry so much about describing. I mean, hey, if you love it, again, follow your muse. Be who you are. But if you don't love it, don't leave spaces in your story where the description's supposed to go and come back and fill it in later, <laughs> you know? How, how bizarre that that story might not turn out so good, you know? Fuck that. If you feel it in your gut, you're the one who's right. Do the thing that you like. Fuck everybody else. Fuck them. Where was I? <laughs> Right, I mean, describe. <laughs> describe what happens in this opening chapter. So yeah, what you need to know is, even a little more than you need to know, but just so it's really, that it's clear. So this rhino girl, her home planet exploded. Very few people survived. So she is on this space station that was relatively nearby, that's manned by this uh, species of, you know, more jellyfish-type creatures. And... Uh, Whatever really obvious ham-fisted metaphor that that, uh, you know, those animal archetypes entails is, that is what it is. This story is not trying to be particularly clever or complex. The rhino species are angry, short-tempered, short-sighted, prone to action. And the jellyfish people are the reverse, you know? They don't like physical conflict, they're scientists, they're thinkers, they're calm, they're quiet, they're placid. So she is, has just had this unbelievably terrible thing happen. She's got all kinds of psychological problems running through her head that she has no sense of how to deal with and no one to help her deal with them. 
she's stuck on this place that is kind of just like a big boring mall. It's just plain, it's just boring, she doesn't belong there, but there's nowhere else for her to go. And there are a few other members of her species scattered around the station, but she's deliberately not making contact with them. They don't make contact with each other because they're all just kind of staying like isolated in their pain, you know? They are just in denial mode right now, basically. So they don't talk to one another because it would be too hard to face one another and continue to deny the reality of this horrible cataclysm that just happened. So that's the kind of setting, that's the basic setup. So now I'll go through the beats of this chapter. Oh, a little lizard. Something I like, there's no lizards really in North America. Super rare. We're here if you're, I was in a bathroom the other day, like an outdoor bathroom at a park, and there was a lizard just hanging out on the ceiling, <laughs> which of all the places to just take a break on the ceiling is such a bizarre thing. But all right, let me walk you through the beats and then I'll do it again, cued to the music. See how this goes, see how this works. So the story starts with the rhino girl, her name is Serrat, C-E-R-A-T, which again, because I'm not clever, is just Serratotherium, is like the Latin word for rhinoceros. So she's asleep, but she's dreaming of explosions, you know? Her eyes are darting underneath her eyelids because she can't not think about her planet exploding, this cataclysm. That not only did she survive, she saw it. Like she was just, had just left. She was one of the very few people that saw this thing happen and lived to tell the tale. So she's sleeping, very troubled sleep, sleeping on her back. She wakes up. And she sits up and she's in this kind of ancient church setting. Big stone altar, stone pews. And she gets up and, you know, she's trying to shake off still little flashes of the horrible dream she was having. She tries to shake that off. She stumbles a little or whatever and drags herself out of this room, out of this church. And it turns out the church is just an exhibit. It's an exhibit of her people, so it's like the one place that kind of reminds her of home. And it's just an exhibit on this space station. So she goes out into the hallway, and it's very obviously a different environment. Very smooth, very clean, very drab, very boring, very direct. And she walks down the hallway and out the front door, and then she's at the top of the steps of this museum. And she has this great view of the space station. You can kind of see the whole place. And it's just like this huge dome, well-lit, just even lighting, bright, boring, drab, bluish. She like, you know, the light kind of hurts her eyes a little at first. She has to shade her eyes a little. Although actually, now that I think about it, I should take that out because I later have a part where she describes that her vision is actually really bad because she has really thick eyes, like she can just put her finger against her eye and it doesn't hurt at all to protect her from sandstorms and stuff in her home planet. But it makes her vision bad. So yeah, I gotta, I should change that. I will change that. 
but she stands at the top of the stairs and just looks out. And that's where we get a quick little montage of, of here's the station. Here's just this boring place with these little stalls and life going on, little marketplaces, the little jellyfish people all around, which uh, I guess I did describe them a little more, where they kind of, they kind of wear like a little armored vest sort of thing just to keep them in human shape. Because they're, they're just kind of blobs, but they want to be accepted by everyone else. They don't want to put people off. They want to try to seem normal. So they wear these little casings to keep them basically bipedal. And show them running around their station and hanging out with their kids and doing stuff and buzzing around and just being faceless, smooth-headed, little blobby squid aliens. <laughs> And then we cut back to our, our protagonist who just just looks like a thousand... Was that a saying one of my friends said once? Like, somebody looks like they just got hit with a thousand pounds of sadness. You know, this chick is not enjoying this at all. Just dour, unhappy. The, the buzzing of the morning and the happy day that's happening around her, she could give a fuck. So she walks down the stairs and she walks across the station. And she just walks. She has nowhere to go. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know what the point of her day or her fucking life is. Just walking. And I kind of think of the uh, trailer for Grand Theft Auto 4. It was really cool where it showed the main character, Nico, walking. And as he walked, like with each step, it would just cut to a different scene in the game, a different neighborhood. But his walk cycle stayed consistent. If this were a movie, I think I would steal that. So she's just walking, walking, all this stuff's happening around her. We get our little introduction to the station. She's walking, everyone's not acknowledging her or ignoring her. She's definitely not acknowledging them. And then she gets to like a little square of some kind of like, you know, uh, where a couple of paths intersect, a little, a kind of busy crossing. Everything's pedestrian traffic because uh, the vehicles are like little flying vehicles that fly through the sky or there's kind of like overpass things that they use but across the crowd she's taller than these squid people the jellyfish people so across the crowd at a bit of a distance like on the opposite corner she sees someone from her species she sees like a male of her species and they catch each other's eye across this this crowd and she just freezes she did not expect to see this guy because they try to deliberately avoid one another and it's just an accident that they uh, got this close. And they stare at each other for this long moment and then he turns away and just walks somewhere else. And once contact is broken, she doesn't have to try to hold herself steady anymore. She immediately, she just freaked the fuck out. She didn't expect that to happen and it is bringing back this flood of like, like I was saying, like so much harder to be in denial when she sees someone else from her species and that person is going through the same situation she's going through and suddenly it's just like it's all real again it's all way too real and she feels herself getting freaked out and upset but she can't let anybody see her like that there's no way she can let anyone see her show emotion because she's a big fucking rhino she's supposed to be tough so she kind of like stumbles through the crowd. Maybe she kind of bumps into somebody. One of the little squid creatures makes a weird squawking sound, but they basically get out of her way. She stumbles between these two buildings 
which again, I haven't really described the place, but as I think of it, it's kind of like these sort of smooth buildings that don't really have a lot of edges, but, but just, you know, your basic kind of fucking alleyway between buildings. And she finds like a little, like, like, I guess what would be the equivalent of like under a fire escape, just a little area where nobody else is. And she just kind of like hard stumbles, falls into this little alcove where for the moment no one can see her and no one's around and she just starts weeping uncontrollably just crying into her hands of just like this insane pressure and she just has no idea what to do and just cries and cries and cries as the camera if there were a camera you know drifts up slowly drifts up pointing down at her up and up and up and up so we get this big view of the station and she's just this little dot down there just crying her face off and that's the end that's chapter one all right so now let me uh run through that same series of events but with the song playing and see how this goes so uh this is absolutely, like, if this was ever a movie, like, this is the song. There's no question. I Need Hunter by Bjork. It's so perfect. It fits so well that, like, if, you know, if I couldn't get Bjork's consent or it's, like, too expensive or if something happened, then I would just have to get, like, a cover of this song. Because, like, this is the song. There's just, there's nothing else. This is the one. All right, so when this song starts... The little bass hits, the little boom, 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 boom. Those would line up with explosions. So we start off with the gray rhino eyes closed. Cuts to these, like quick cuts to these explosions. Okay, song's gonna start. Three, two, one, start. So yeah, we got the gray rhino eyes. Whatever fucking so-and-so movies presents. And those are the explosions. Her eyes are twitching underneath her eyelids. Horrible. Bad dream time. And she opens her eyes. And she slowly sits up. We still see some flashes of explosions. She's just trying to shake it off. She's just like, you know, whoa, hand on her forehead. Just like, what the fuck? And she looks across the room and she's in this weird, ancient looking church. And she gets to her feet and is obviously still just un uncoordinated. She's just like having a hard time getting into the day and goes through the church and the door opens and she's in just this weird alien place. Like, it's very obvious that this hallway doesn't fit with where she just was. And she goes down the hallway and out that door. I'm going a little too fast, you know. I have to time this out to the movie. So she's, she's going down the hallway. She's in an alien place. She doesn't like it. She gets to the front door and the front door opens and we get the big bright brightness the day now we get the scenery of the space station. Here's where we just cut to different shots of the families and the kids and the moms and the market stalls and people going to work and this weird alien place. And it's everything's going fine for these people, for these squid aliens. Everything's great. 
but it's not going well for her because we cut back to her right here. Boom. And she just is like, fuck this. Fuck this place. And she drags herself down the stairs. And she just starts walking through the station. And this is where we do the cuts to the different neighborhoods. And she's just walking and walking. And it's all just like, what is this place? Why are we here? What the fuck? I don't belong here. No one's acknowledging me. No one's paying attention. And then she gets to the crossroads area. No, not yet. She's still walking. You know, again, editing. Edit the power of editing. This is why it's so hard to explain this timed up to the music. Okay, she's at the crossroads and she sees across from her another of her species where those strings hit. And they stare at each other. And the guy, he's like trying to look tough, but he's clearly just super, super sad where her face is way more obvious shock, having a hard time holding it together. And then he does the kindness of turning away and he leaves. And as soon as he's not looking at her anymore, this is where she just stumbles away. She's just got to get out of here. She just got to get away from this public setting. She pushes someone aside and she finds a little alleyway and she goes into the alley and she finds a little alcove, a little spot where she can crouch down. And she just breaks down, just hands, head in her hands, just crying. This person who's been, is obviously trying to be tough and strong, big alien, just crying and crying and crying. And just like, what the fuck am I gonna do? And the camera drifts upward, looking down on her, just drifts up and drifts up and drifts up and we get a wider and wider view of the space station and all this stuff happening and this whole life going on but this one little person in the middle that is just bad times having seriously bad times directed by Keith McNally <laughs> it's funny just as we got to that moment some people came down the uh, the pathway just gonna move off the path a little, let them go by. Wow, it's like a whole bunch of people. But okay, hey, I think that went kind of okay, right? <laughs> so, yeah, whenever I listen to that song, whenever I listen to Hunter by Bjork, that's the, the images just kind of run through my head. Obviously, they're not timed out perfect, <laughs> you know? Because, <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, if it was a movie, obviously you can edit the song if you have to. In that case, I don't think I would, but, you know, you edit the images to fit the song. It's tough to describe and to time it out just right, but, but that's the gist of it. That's the basics. And uh, it's just a cool thing because it really did solidify. I actually think I wrote that chapter. It's not like the song inspired the chapter so much. I wrote the chapter first and then I was listening to the song and I'm like, oh, dude, that fits so well. That's so perfect. But it, it kind of like solidifies things. When I go back and do my like second draft of this book, like that, if there's any extra fat on that first chapter that doesn't fit in with that little scene I just described, you know, like I'll just cut it down to that because that's it. That's the opening. Like I've thought it through a bunch of times because every time I listen to that song, I think about it. And obviously the ultimate fantasy of life would be if this was a movie someday and you see the opening of the movie and it's just like that, wouldn't that be fucking awesome? And you come back and dig up this podcast and you're like, what the fuck? Cool, it's just like that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't have any other scenes in this story that are that distinct. I've got 
a song that I think would fit really well for the end, but I haven't written the end yet, obviously, so it's a little less distinct. But I've also got, what I might do next episode is, I think of, like, if there was a movie trailer for the whole story, a song that kind of ties into that. That one is way less granular and way less specific. It's just, like, the basic beats of the story. But maybe I'll try that next. We'll see. But anyway, there we go. There's my attempt to sort of describe the first chapter of this book lined up to a song. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a neat thing. Later, if I keep up with these, there's, like, a whole story I'm working on that is way more based on music, where it was, like, that Bring Me the Horizon album, Step Eternal, just as I was listening to it. I would think of, like, I basically, it's, it's a story that still needs a lot of work, but all of the basic ideas were kind of directly based on just listening to that album over and over again last winter. But yeah, we'll get into that when we get into it. That's good for today. Uh, so, of course, we'll end with, with that song, Hunter by Bjork, without me rambling over it. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Now I'm just rambling. That's enough. We're, we're good. We're good. I'll see you next episode for some more attempts at this. Music story time with Uncle Keith. Okay. I think I'm a little thrown off because all those people went by and I like never see people up here. <laughs> that was weird. I'm not as alone as I thought I was. I'm glad that wasn't like pissing or something. That's the last thing I need is for them to come up the mountain and be like, oh great, there's a foreign guy up on the mountain with his goddamn dick out. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. All right, see you later. Bye, thank you. Me
Now I'm leaving it all